Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Tim Mack. I'm a partner in Hong Kong, and uh, I'm joined by uh, Kim Zelnick in New York and Daniel Travers in Dusseldorf. Today, we're going to be talking about market misconduct and, in particular, market manipulation. And what we mean by market manipulation is broadly uh, the influencing of the natural forces of supply and demand in the securities and futures markets in in an unnatural way uh, through a deliberate attempt to to move those forces. Now, in most of the major markets around the world, that type of conduct is prohibited, whether it's criminal or otherwise. Uh, And over the last few years, there have been a number of developments in this space. So with that introduction, I might hand over to Kim to uh, let us uh, know about what's been happening in this space in the US. Kim, over to you. Thank you, Tim. In the United States, we are seeing regulators, criminal and on the regulatory side, very aggressively pursue a practice known as spoofing which is a form of market misconduct where traders place orders that they don't have the intention to execute on. Uh, We've seen just very recently, JP Morgan entered into a $920 million deferred prosecution agreement with the Department of Justice. And that related to spoofing in both the treasuries and the precious metals market. But what may be even more interesting uh, to, to our listeners was, was, a, was an earlier resolution with the Bank of Nova Scotia on August 19th, uh, which actually was uh, the second one that the bank had entered into because they had a prior resolution that related to the same conduct. Um, but the big news on Scotiabank was that the government had done further investigation after the original resolution and determined that Scotiabank had not actually disclosed the full misconduct that had occurred at Scotiabank. And the way that the government was able to determine that was because they have spent the last three years significantly beefing up their ability to detect this kind of activity using data analytics. They've brought in teams of uh, software uh, specialists, of of traders, um, and they have dramatically improved their capabilities. And the Scotiabank resolution that came out, which involved a criminal resolution as well as a as well as a, a very substantial re- resolution with the CFTC, um, was was on the back of that additional work, and in particular penalized the bank for having not brought the full amount of misconduct to the government's attention. In addition to that, we're also seeing that there are individual criminal actions against traders. So just on September 25th, two Deutsche Bank traders were convicted of spoofing precious metals markets. Um, So there's criminal actions that's coming out of all of this increased surveillance capability, as well as corporate enforcement. And the U.S. government has just become much more sophisticated and much better at developing these kinds of cases. That raises a number of uh, very interesting issues. The first is that if the governmental authorities are becoming much more sophisticated in their ability to conduct surveillance uh, and monitor for market manipulation type activities, does that mean that uh, market participants have to then up their game and make sure that their own surveillance monitoring systems are on par with the government's? Any, any views or thoughts? Absolutely, Tim. There, there, is, there is unquestionably an expectation that banks are going to be policing this themselves. And in fact, one of the, the major factors in the, in the Scotiabank resolution that was highlighted by the government was the fact that 
uh, the compliance persons at Scotiabank had actually uh, come across some of this activity uh, in the normal course of, of their duties and had failed to identify the fact that what they were doing was what the government viewed as, as illegal manipulation. So we're, we're seeing that the, there's an expectation that the, the banks become more sophisticated, that they train their compliance personnel, and also that they're using themselves good tools to, to surveil their traders' activity and to detect this, the, this kind of conduct. And it's not just spoofing, I should say. It's wash trading. It's other kinds of manipulation. There's an expectation that the banks are going to find this, that they're going to remediate, um, and in, including that they're going to turn themselves in. Okay. Is there any, any indication as to what sorts of flags or features these new uh, governmental surveillance systems are looking for? Uh, the reason why I ask is because with, for example, spoofing, I think it's been historically quite difficult to identify spoofing because obviously the way that spoofing works, as I understand it, is that traders put onto the the board a number of orders, whether they be buy or sell orders, but with no real intent that they be be executed. And depending on where you are in the world, that sort of activity um, can be given different names. So for example, in Hong Kong, I think regulators term that activity uh, as scaffolding. So you you know, you're putting up a, a scaffold, and then you're taking it down again. Now, one of the problems historically has been that because it all, all boils down to intention, there is an argument by traders traders to say, well, you know, I did place these orders, I placed them wrongly, or I, I thought uh, I, I changed my mind, I, I decided differently, so I took the orders down again or didn't pursue them. Now, is there any, any indication uh, as to what the governmental surveillance systems look for to try and sift out genuine from, you know, improper activity? Sure. No, that's a great question, Tim. And I, I think what, what we've certainly looked at ourselves at Freshfield and in, in working with our clients has been to look at the kind of activity that has been featured in these in these charging instruments. So what you see in the resolution is you see uh, you, you see the, the these patterns uh, that that are particularly flagged by the regulators. And so I would encourage all participants in these markets to to be studying. The kinds of patterns that are being that are being focused on by the regulators, but um, for example, in the in the Scotiabank case, um, it really ran the gamut. There were instances where the, where traders were placing orders that they were canceling that were very close to the market, large orders that were far away from the market. Sometimes they were doing, you know, they were very quickly placing several small orders on top of each other, so stacking orders. So it, there's there's a variety of different kinds of conduct, Tim, which is one of the reasons why this actually makes it very difficult to determine. And the, the, the scale and size can vary and the patterns can vary depending upon the particular asset. Uh, so it, it really is, it, 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 it is a difficult thing to build a good surveillance program that can really pick up all these different kinds of, of, of activity. Uh, and it's really one of the reasons why it's important to, to look both retrospectively at what what has been prosecuted and where the enforcement has been, but also to be creative and looking at just taking a step back and looking at the activity as it goes forward, because uh, there's no doubt that people will continue to be creative and figuring out ways that they can can evade this kind of detection. There's a variety of a variety of things. Um, and so you just have to you have to you really have to stay diligent, I think, is the bottom line. And I think if if you're a financial institution, it might actually pay to 
have uh, market experts, traders come in and help to refine surveillance systems. Because as you say, quite rightly, Kim, that the types of conduct that can amount to market manipulation is hugely broad and it's probably evolving year by year as people look for ways to, to try and artificially affect the forces of, of supply and demand. Yes. And, and one of the common failures we see, Tim, is that is what you pointed out. These are orders that are actually canceled. They're often the, the orders are never filled. So when people look at just PL records and they look at executed trades, which is sometimes the, the data feed that will go into surveillance, you're not seeing all the activity because you're not capturing those canceled trades. Another aspect of commodities that is different from equities is these exchanges allow you to do something called iceberging orders, which is where you don't show your full order to the market. You show just a small amount of if you're if you're trying to buy 100 lots on the the system, it only it appears that you you can you can ice you can quote iceberg it so it looks like you're you have a 10 lot order instead of a 100 lot order. Um, this is this is not a, a feature of equities. Uh, but it's been a it's been one of the one of the very important things to to see when you're when you're looking at data. And so if you're if the surveillance tools that you're using aren't picking up the iceberg uh, of an order, if they're not looking at canceled orders, if they're only looking at executed orders, you're missing really important data points that will help you see the full picture of what of, of what a trader is doing. And so it's important to understand the different sources of data uh, and to, to make sure you are you are seeing all the different dimensions of it. And also to understand the differences between equities and commodities. That's a very good point, Kim. Uh, hugely complex. And it sounds to me like it's uh, very much cat and mouse between the, uh, the, the, the bad guys and the regulators. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, in Hong Kong, we, we haven't had so much focus on uh, on scaffolding or, or spoofing. We've had a few cases over the years, but certainly not not uh, anywhere near as uh, high a focus from the regulators as appears to be the case uh, currently in the US. But interestingly, in Hong Kong, we've seen more of one particular type of uh, market misconduct, market manipulation being focused on. And that is to do with disclosure, because obviously um, one of the ways in which one can artificially affect the market is to disclose false and misleading information into the market, which then induces transactions which wouldn't otherwise have been transacted. And there have been a number of cases, uh, very interesting cases, involving, first of all, one category of market participant, the short seller. Uh, we've seen uh, many very high-profile short sellers, I think, in the US, but increasingly so in Asia. And there was an interesting recent case involving the Hong Kong Securities and Futures Commission uh, going after a uh, short seller who uh, didn't do his homework very well. The individual in question uh, claimed that he had received an anonymous report about a Hong Kong listed company. And after doing some preliminary searches himself, decided that he should publish that report on the internet. Now, of course, that that publication of the report resulted in the company's share price uh, crashing and, and then a, a regulatory investigation ensuing. And that individual was brought before uh, the Hong Kong Regulatory Tribunal to uh, answer to allegations of market misconduct. And uh, he was found responsible for market misconduct through public, publishing false misleading information in a manner which was, which was ultimately negligent. 
so that's one aspect that the regulators are looking at at the moment. Another aspect, uh, focusing again on disclosure, is the regulators attempt to try and make sure that there is liability for prospectus misstatements. Now, obviously, primary liability rests with um, the listing applicants, directors and senior managers, those who take part in uh, the disclosure of information in the, the, the listing applicant's prospectus. But increasingly, regulators are looking at the intermediaries who help to sponsor such listings. So we are, I think, waiting for our first test case uh, in this space. So it will be an interesting uh, uh, situation. We know the regulators are very focused on this, and we know they are looking for that first uh, notch in terms of a victory against a, for example, big international investment bank that sponsors IPOs. So that, that's Hong Kong in a nutshell. Uh, Daniel, what have you been seeing in Germany? I think it's quite similar to what you see in Hong Kong, Tim. Um, it's certainly not as sophisticated as, as Kim has just described it for the United States. But we have seen some significant changes in the past years. I mean, historically, in Germany, we come from basically no criminal enforcement of market misconduct whatsoever. And that only changed in the in the early 2000s and, and sort of slowly but steadily increased, uh, but on a rather low level. So we would have usually around a few hundred regulatory investigations a year, but only very few criminal cases, a few dozen for market manipulation, and in most years, only a handful for insider trading. What has changed now is the aggressiveness with which the the prosecuting authorities are enforcing uh, these cases and i'm quite sure that we'll also see the numbers go up that will be something that we will only see over the coming month and and next few years because all cases take a while um, but what we've seen recently is just an increased willingness to quite aggressively enforce such cases. We just in the past few weeks we had a case uh, where a, a, a farm manager was was arrested in a large bank for private insider dealings and pre-trial detention. That's quite rare in German white collar crime cases. So that really speaks to the severity uh, of the case in the view of the prosecution. We've just had a trader convicted to three and a half years in prison for a first time offense for disguising advertisements on, on stocks he held in his own portfolio. So that was a market manipulation charge. And even though that trader had gone through quite a big deal after going, uh, being arrested in Bali and then being extradited to Germany. He was still convicted to a three and a half year prison sentence, which is, which is again, a, a very steep prison sentence for white collar crime in Germany. One other thing that we've seen is we've seen an increased willingness of the uh, state prosecution services to go after after C-level executives. Um, and that I would, would say happens mostly in disclosure cases or, or non-disclosure cases, if you will. So what we've seen quite a lot in the past few years is cases in which there was any type of compliance incident and then as an add-on to the criminal investigation pertaining to that compliance incident, uh, the prosecution would look at who at what point of maybe an internal investigation into the goings-on knew what and at what time would they have been required by law 
to, to uh, speak publicly about the possible financial um, effects for the company. And whenever that duty is violated, that is obviously perceived to be a criminal market manipulation by, by uh, permission to give the correct information into the market. Uh, and we've just seen some cases where there were indictments and we expect to see more in, in future in that field. The prosecution has certainly upped their game uh, in, in the past few years and especially in the past few months with that. Uh, and that's true not only for individual enforcement, which has historically been strong in Germany, but also going after companies. Um, one, one of the things about German uh, market manipulation law is that already today, companies can face massive fines. So they can face fines of up to 15% uh, of their group turnover for market manipulation cases. Um, whereas in other cases, corruption offenses, for example, uh, there's a, a maximum statutory 10 million euro fine. That we haven't seen that much, I must say, so far. But it will be certainly interesting to see in the next um, uh, few months and, and years what's coming. Thank you. That, that's hugely interesting. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, that uh, brings our first podcast to a close. Uh, please look out for future podcasts on this area. Uh, we will, uh, we anticipate, be covering issues uh, like inside information, insider dealing, and other aspects of market misconduct. Thank you.